Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Necessary Roughness Podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. As always, we're here, episode number 158. We have reached the end of the 2022 regular season, 2022-2023, we're being correct about it. We are ready, hopefully, to jump in to the full playoff slate. We're going to walk our way through the Super Wild Card weekend matchups. We're going to pick all those games, and we're going to jump straight into my postseason forecast. I'll pull out the crystal ball, and we'll see how everything should go, might go, probably won't go, but you never know. But first, we're going to get started with this episode like we do with every other, with my standout seven. Now, superseding the standout seven, as with last week, obviously, a hopefully once-in-ever sort of news story, just updating the DeMar Hamlin news, and I'm sure you've heard at this point, DeMar Hamlin, as of two days ago, per ESPN, was at home with his family, hopefully through the medical whirlwind that he encountered, obviously, starting back in Cincinnati on the field in that fateful Monday night against the Cincinnati Bengals when he collapsed and had a cardiac event and then pushed through, pushed through, here we are. Hopefully he is through the weeds. Obviously we're not going to discuss, oh, is he going to come back for the Bills? I think that's completely beyond the realm of something that we're even going to talk about, let's be honest here. But it's good to know he's at home with his family. They said after the Week 18 matchup they had, they being the Buffalo Bills, with the New England Patriots, that he FaceTimed his teammates. We'll talk about that matchup in a sec, but just wanted to update you guys in case you had missed the news that, thankfully, hopefully, one of the worst stories of the year in the NFL has, fingers crossed, concluded uh, in not as dramatic fashion as it started. So, now that we've got that out of the way, you know what time it is. It is the first week after the regular season, which means we have to talk Black Monday. And we're going to get started with someone that we said weeks ago we figured would get fired, and it's Cliff Kingsbury. And uh, usually when there's smoke, there's fire with these things, and well, there was both, evidently, with the uh, man who when he jumped to the NFL, it was a lot talked about how he was a pretty boy, which was kind of weird. You don't really see that as the personality or thing that's discussed with a head coach in the National Football League, but here we are. Um... You look at his record as his career as the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals comes to a close. 28-37-1. First season, 5-10-1. Obviously, not the best. You take a look back at that Cardinal team. Wasn't a good team. Let's be honest. Kyler Murray started for that team. Lead back was Kenyon Drake. Decent player. Uh, An aging David Johnson who just didn't recover from the knee injury he suffered. Larry Fitzgerald tail end of his career, leading receiver for that squad, wasn't very good. They wind up going 8-8 eight and eight the next season, which is a decent improvement, right? I don't think anyone would argue that. Another Kenyon Drake year, Kyler Murray runs for 800 yards. DeAndre Hopkins comes over, 1,400 receiving yards. Then you have the 2021 season. Looks like they made the step forward. They started hot. They wind up going 11-6, and six, but you take a look at the schedule. They lose five out of their last six games, if you include the playoff game four out of their last five, in the regular season. So that means at one point, they were sitting at 10-2. and They lost to the eventual champion Rams. They lost to the Detroit Lions, not so much champions. They lost to the Colts, who wound up not even making the postseason. 
and they lost to the Seahawks in Week 18, 38-30. All right, so you're thinking, well, sometimes there's a learning curve for these young teams, and this was a relatively young team. You know, James Conner comes in, he's their lead back, he scores a whole bunch of touchdowns, racks up 1,000 yards all-purpose, Chase Edmonds contributes, right? Less rushing for Kyler, which is good for the long term. DeAndre plays 10 games, 570 receiving yards. His injuries kind of correlate to the offense getting a little weird. A.J. Green almost 1,000 yards. Christian Kirk almost 1,000 yards. Uh, Okay, they come into this season relatively tempered expectations because it was kind of viewed that, you know, were they a little fraudulent in that tail end of last year? Perhaps. Um, They come in this year, and San Francisco's great. The Rams fall off the map. And somehow the Rams wind up winning more games in an injury-riddled season than the Cardinals. Obviously, five and twelve to four and thirteen. That's enough. Coupled with the purported lack of chemistry, let's say, um, a little bit of arguing going on on the sideline between the franchise quarterback or presumed franchise quarterback and Kyler Murray and Kingsbury, who was brought in to be the guy to help offensive-minded with the development of this team, with Kyler Murray. How's it going to go for uh, Arizona in this coaching search? Well, usually teams don't like to double down. They'll go offensive coach, defensive coach. But in this situation, considering that they have Kyler Murray under contract, though he may not be ready for the beginning of next season, you tend to think whoever's coming on board is going to want to be in Kyler's camp unless they're going to blow this whole thing up. There is a rumor that the team is considering, or maybe DeAndre Hopkins is considering asking for them to consider, uh, moving Hopkins. Um, I'm not sure why that would be the go-to move. Let's be honest, DeAndre Hopkins is one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. Currently, he's got 2023 and 2024 under contract here. Coming in yearly cash per spot rack, 19.45 and 14.915, though the cap hit is 30.7 and 26.2, respectively, for those two years. Um, Age 31 and 32 seasons, worth noting. He's had a little bit of health issues. He had a suspension, obviously, this year for substance. uh, Performance enhancing, I believe. So, what are they going to do? I don't know. Is Kingsbury going to find his way onto another staff? I've heard rumors that, oh, he'll just go to New England and run their offense. Yeah, I I don't think Bill's going to look at the way things shook out in Arizona and go, yeah, I need that guy. Then again, they did bring in Patricia, and who looked at Detroit and said, we need that guy? Well, Bill Belichick did. So anything's certainly possible. In other Black Monday news, and we're going to really stack up some of these topics here, to be honest, so we can get straight in to the wild card, super wild card matchups later in the show. Keeping it Black Monday themed, Lovey Smith was fired as well as coach of the Houston Texans, though to my knowledge, this isn't even Black Monday. I, I saw the report late Sunday night that he was fired. Obviously, a fluky victory at Indy that we predicted, by the way, um, coupled with going for two and getting it, effectively knocking themselves willingly out of the number one pick. Does not go over so well with ownership and the front office, and we talked about this years ago, and I will not let this drop. New York Giants doing something similar late in the season, beating the Washington then-name-redacted, now Commanders, and 
it cost them the draft placement to try and get Chase Young. Is Chase Young J.J. Watt? Is he Reggie White? No, but at the time, it looked like he was going to be the transcendent pass rusher the Giants needed, and he's still a pretty darn talented player very early in his career. Giants wind up not getting him, obviously, but Giants are in the postseason, so I guess you could say all's well that ends well in a certain sense. Where is Houston going to go? I don't know. Um, I tend to think if they move on from Mills, somebody would want him. Fifth, sixth round pick sort of thing. I think there's some talent there. Is he a star quarterback? No, but he's certainly backup capable. I mean, in a league where Andy Dalton started a handful of games this year, at least for New Orleans, I'm not going to check the number, it doesn't matter. In a league where he's starting, in a league where Sam Darnold's getting another crack at it, where Baker Mayfield got multiple cracks and arguably deserves it more than Darnold, in my opinion, um, I could see Davis Mills getting another shot, rightfully so. Is it going to be in a team like Carolina? Will they throw him roster down there in New Orleans, speaking of teams that need it? I don't know, but realistically, Houston needs a playmaker at the quarterback position because their last one was a PR nightmare, and after they signed him, they moved on from him, shipped him off to Ohio to play for the Cleveland Browns. So, the situation they find themselves in is that the Chicago Bears are now in the catbird seat. The Texans can make an offer to try and move up to one, and here's what I would do, personally. If I am, and as we take a look here at the NFL draft order officially, now that it's set via NFL.com, first 18 spots, I should say, are set. So, number one, the Chicago Bears. Number two, the Houston Texans. Number three, the Arizona Cardinals, aforementioned. Number four, the Indianapolis Colts. Number five, the Seattle Seahawks, by way of the Denver Broncos. Number six, the Detroit Lions, by way of the L.A. Rams. Number seven, the Las Vegas Raiders. Number eight, the Atlanta Falcons. Nine, the Panthers. Ten, the Eagles by way of New Orleans. So, you take a look, and we can go through the full 18. You know, we made it to 10. Tennessee at 11. Houston by way of Cleveland at 12. Jets at 13. New England at 14. Packers 15. Commanders 16. Steelers 17. And number 18, just on the outside looking in, the Detroit Lions. So, I'm the Chicago Bears, right, in this scenario. I may not believe that Justin Fields is going to be Lamar Jackson, Michael Vick, but I'd like to try and find out. So, what I'm thinking is, if the Bears are going to move back, which I believe they could and should, the furthest they want to move back is, what are we talking, four? You're either trading this pick to the Houston Texans to move up one spot and you're going to get a top pass rusher or a lineman or something else. Or you could move out of two as well, mind you, because there are rumors that Will Levis is fly Is it Levis or Levis? Is flying up the draft boards at quarterback. Bryce Young, obviously, being talked about. Uh, I'm not even sure who the top NFL draft prospects are right now. Let's take a look at that one as we talk NFL draft. I wasn't ready for this one yet. Obviously, you've got Will Anderson. Yeah, there's Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud. It could be a strong QB class. Could be a strong one, right? Everybody saw what C.J. Stroud put up numbers during his time at Ohio State. You take a look down. Will Anderson, I've heard that name before. Jalen Carter of the champion Georgia Bulldogs. Another D lineman, Tyree Wilson out of Texas Tech. You've got a tackle out of Northwestern. Two D linemen out of Clemson. Bijan Robinson out of Texas at running back. 
Tight end at Notre Dame. We're not going to go through the whole draft. Will Levis at 13 on this one, though the rumors recently is that he is rising up, up, up. So, a lot of talent in this first round. If I'm the Chicago Bears general manager, we're not moving down past three. We're not moving past, maybe past three, because the Cardinals in all likelihood won't take a quarterback, but they may move their pick as well. If I'm moving back to two, and letting Houston select, let's say they fall in love with Bryce Young. I can sit in the catbird seat with a haul of draft picks that I probably picked up from Houston because time has shown that, I mean, they're willing to give them up, right? They're not exactly looking for the best deals. In past history, at least, the DeAndre Hopkins trade was not a haul for them for, at the time, one of the best receivers, still one of the best receivers in the NFL. I'm moving back to two, now that, and we're completely, you know diverging from the path of talking about Lovey Smith here, because I'm talking about the situation Houston finds themselves in. They now have to trade up. They're trading up to number one, theoretically, because they're worried about the Colts in their division trading up from four. They're worried about potentially the Raiders in their conference trading up from seven. Potentially the Falcons, who knows? Are they really sold on Ritter? He didn't show us too much. Potentially Carolina at nine. Maybe Tennessee, I doubt that one. Houston's got the 12th pick to leverage, and they've got the second pick. I imagine if they're going to want to leapfrog, considering there might be a trade market, they're going to have to give up both. Either that or they're going to give up future picks galore, right? In terms of young talent from Houston that Chicago might want, I mean, what do you want, Damian Pierce? Is he available? I don't know if that'd be a wise move from Houston, but if it saves you the 12th pick, maybe. Theoretically, the way we've been told the NFL goes... Um, running back is expendable. I don't know. But this is a situation they find themselves in because they wanted to win a meaningless game. Do the Texans go out and get a Derek Carr? Obviously, they had his brother. They know the family, so to speak. Would his brother advise him to uh, not go to Houston, if at all possible? Perhaps. Um, we'll talk more draft stuff. I don't want to derail the whole episode. We'll talk more draft stuff come later in the offseason when we get post-Super Bowl and then the March episode, but point of order was Lovey Smith kind of put the Texans in a pickle, and they put him on a pink slip. Obviously, there's some job openings to discuss as well. The Carolina Panthers, where are they looking? There are murmurings that Mike Kafka, the Giants offensive coordinator, is getting a look both in Houston, I think I heard in Carolina as well. Obviously, Coach Harbaugh from the University of Michigan may be rejoining the NFL ranks with his brother. There have been rumors of this for years, though now it appears supposedly Michigan is under investigation. I saw one report that said it had something to do with taking a, a prospect or a uh, recruit, rather, out for a burger, which, okay. Sure, if that's something worth penalizing, yeah, why not? Um, sure, I'm sure there's nothing else going on. There's no there's no numbers being fudged in terms of grades. There's no, of course not. There's no money changing hands. It's a burger. That's what does it. But we're not talking college football. Uh, the New Orleans Saints reportedly keeping Dennis Allen at the head coach spot. I mean, I don't love it, but I don't hate it. If we're being honest, the Saints were not really built to win this year. They go 7-10. and 10. They lose the division barely. They wind up playing, you know, they lose by 10 points to Tampa the first time. They lose, by Tampa, lose to Tampa by one point the second time. They win three out of the last four to stay alive. They beat Atlanta in a close one. They beat Cleveland. They beat Philly with a backup QB. They almost beat Carolina. This is a year that could have went better for them, if we're being honest. But considering the team on paper, I don't think they should be too shocked. 
I mean, Andy Dalton, 18 touchdowns to 9 picks. Completion percentage is pretty good. Kamara runs for 900, has 490 receiving yards, only 4 touchdowns. I mean, Taysom Hill winds up with 9 touchdowns this year. The thing is, was just health, right? Michael Thomas played 3 games this season. 170 yards in 3 games. If you project those numbers, he would have had a great year, but you can't do that, right? Jawan Johnson played all right at the tight end position. Chris Olave, 1,000-yard receiving in his first year, which is, you know, pretty good. Rashad Shaheed, 488, pretty darn good as well. Um, Jarvis Landry kind of pushing towards the tail end of it, maybe. Nine games, three starts, 270. Still some talent there, but didn't really pan out. I'm not sure. The rumors earlier in the offseason were that Sean Payton may just get allowed or inspired to come back and straight up coach the team because it would potentially be easier than convincing another team to potentially part with a first round draft pick for his services considering he's not with Drew Brees and considering that Super Bowl was a little bit ago but Super Bowls don't grow on trees nor do coaches that have won them nor do coaches that have had the guts to onside kick to start the second half in the Super Bowl against a future Hall of Fame quarterback on the other sideline so I get it. It's a weird move, but you know what? If they're moving Sean Payton, maybe he doesn't want to come back to New Orleans. Maybe they're going to use the Sean Payton trade to revitalize the rebuild, retooling. Okay, why not? What are they going to do in this offseason? We'll talk about it later. We're focused on playoff teams this week for the most part, but figured we'd note that one. The LA Rams are going to hang on to Sean McVay. There was a smattering of reporting saying that he's going to take some time to consider what's going on at Within the week, he decided, yeah, I'm coming back. I mean, realistically, there was a report last year as well that Aaron Donald was considering retiring. He was considering retiring. What was going on with Matthew Stafford's arm? And things were in disarray. And, you know, realistically, for a Super Bowl champion, I've never seen it go to disarray that quickly. But it was a weird year for them. Stafford coming off of the arm injury that they swore wasn't the problem and then kind of was. Cooper Cup going down, Aaron Donald getting nicked up, and then it's really just a squad of backups. Baker Mayfield finding a way to get them a win at one point there. Um, Weird year. Chalk it up to being a weird year and move on as far as I'm concerned. And the other L.A. team will pivot us into number two in the standout seven. Obviously, and I say with a twinge of sarcasm in my voice, obviously Brandon Staley is going to remain the head coach of the Chargers. Obviously... Brandon Staley didn't go into the last game of the season when he knew the Ravens had lost and therefore the Chargers could not move up in their seating past five or move down below five. He knew that and he went out and he played Justin Herbert for about two drives and they lost to the Broncos, you know, and they made it competitive 31-28. Except if you watch this game, the Chargers played their starters the bulk of the game And they wound up tempting fate just a little too much. And what do I mean by that? Well, their number two wide receiver, Mike Williams, who is pretty darn talented wideout and a pretty big piece of this team's success, winds up catching a back injury, I believe in the second half of this game, if not in the second quarter, third quarter range. And he was helped to the locker room. It was said after the game he was helped, seen being helped away by teammates while walking. And then they said, oh, don't worry about it. It's a minor injury. It's a minor injury, they said. Okay. Uh, and now it comes out that it is, in fact, a fracture in his back. And the likelihood is, if he will play again during the 2022-23 season, 
It would be in the Super Bowl. Okay, well, I'm not trying to make it look like I'm pulling for people to get fired, because quite honestly, it, it, look, it's their livelihood, and it doesn't affect me in the slightest, you know what I mean? I wouldn't want somebody to say, oh, I want that guy to not be able to put food on his table. However, when it's my job to talk about the successes and failures of players and coaches in the National Football League, I'd be remiss not to point out that getting one of your star receivers injured in a meaningless game before a playoff game that you know is going to be winnable because you knew your opponent before said game even started is an all-time bonehead move. Now, how will that play out in the offseason? Well, if the L.A. Chargers are able to go on the road and at least put up a respectable showing against the Jaguars, everyone is going to say, well, if maybe if you had Mike Williams, you would have won. If they go out there and get blown out, people will say, well, you know, maybe Williams wouldn't have made the difference. It is what it is. If they go out there and win, then, depending on how things play out, I will make the, the spoilers pick here before we get to pick them, that they will face Kansas City without Mike Williams. They will face the big brother of the division. The fans will not like losing to them again. The fans never like losing to them. This would be in the postseason. I'm not saying Brandon Staley should be fired. I'm saying if one in-game decision can be a fireable offense, getting one of your star players injured in a meaningless game that leaves you with nothing to gain and everything to lose is an all-time bonehead move. Just my take. Is it fireable? I'm not the general manager. I'm not the ownership. Let me know what you guys think. Charger fan, any fan. Comment section if there is one. Social media, all social media, at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. Let me know. We'll have a dialogue there. Respectfully, if I put my fan hat on, and Brian Dable ran the starters out against Philly, and Saquon Barkley tweaked his ankle, I'd probably be taking that Coach of the Year vote away, right? Just a little bit, right? Neither here nor there. Uh, wish you well, Mike Williams. Sorry you were put in that awkward situation. Speaking of awkward situations, let's talk number three in the standout seven, Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. Now, the Baltimore Ravens went out there, and they tried their darndest in Week 18 with their third-string quarterback, and it wasn't enough, and we knew it wouldn't be enough. So, they're going to be on the road. In their eyes, you figure, oh, we're going to go play our hardest and play our hearts out for a coin flip at a home game? Not going to happen. Not worth it. Okay, fair enough. Lamar Jackson has missed over a month in terms of practices and games. And just today... Friday afternoon, these comments came out from Sammy Watkins. Now, it's worth noting that Lamar Jackson openly disclosed his status for the game yesterday. And it was weird because the coaching staff had not said explicitly to my knowledge what his status was going to be. Perhaps trying to play coy. Oh, he's going to be Willis Reed. Oh, he'll suit up and we'll see if we can get him in there. So this is how it was reported by Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk. Your opinion of him doesn't matter to me. This is how it was written. 
The decision of Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson to suddenly disclose details about his knee injury on Thursday night was not spontaneous, accidental, or coincidental. At a time when the powers that be in the organization are becoming frustrated to the point of exasperated with Jackson's inability, parentheses, or unwillingness, and parenthetical, to play, Jackson's teammates are starting to wonder what's going on, and they're starting to talk publicly. This is what led me to this topic. Not Florio's takedown or his insider's site. Just these comments from Sammy Watkins to the Washington Post. In this league, everybody is pretty much banged up, hurt. I don't want to speak for him and his situation, him being Lamar, and whatever he's going through with contracts, I don't know what world he's in. But for me, you got a chance to do something special. We all know with Lamar Jackson out there, this team is really freaking good. And special things can happen. He can will this team to a Super Bowl. I don't think he's thinking about it that way. He continued, He's got an opportunity to win a Super Bowl. I hope he hobbles back out there. Put him out for the pass plays. Don't run him at all. You never know. That could be wrong. I'm being selfish right now. Just want him to be out on the field. But man, what a great thing it would be to see eight touch the field this Sunday and we go out there and blow them out. But that's for Lamar and everybody else to figure out. Hope miraculously something happens. Somebody reach out to him, whether it's a coach or somebody, and he decides to play. Decides is the word that was used by Sammy Watkins. That's a question if he's healthy or not. I don't know. I haven't been watching him. Watkins, this is from Florio, seems to believe... I'm not going to read you the whole, whole article, by the way. Seems to believe if Jackson had his long-term contract, he'd be playing... Quote, I think the world is ready to see Lamar back on the field doing what he'd do best and get all the stipulations and contract stuff behind him. I pray somebody talks to him like, man, just sign the deal. All right. So here we are. I have not been the Sammy Watkins champion in years past, right? I think he's a pretty talented wideout, but if we're being honest, his best years were his first two seasons in the league in Buffalo. Let's, let's just call, call it what it is, right? He was pretty good in L.A. with the Rams. 593 and 8 touchdowns. Um, his time in Kansas City was meh. Never more than 700 yards. Never more than 3 touchdowns, but a contributor. He was in Baltimore last year. They thought it would be a big addition, I assume. Started 9 games, played in 13. 394 and a touchdown. This year he went to Green Bay. Didn't do too much. 200 yards. Cut. Baltimore, 119 yards. Okay. Now that we've got his qualifications out of the way, he's played for Buffalo, pre-Josh Allen, to my memory. Played for the Rams, pretty decent team. Played for Kansas City, played for Baltimore, played for Green Bay. I am not going to say that what he said is fair. If we're being completely honest, it is blatantly unfair, right? However, it gives you a glimpse into how the locker room perceives what's going on. And I think Florio framed that pretty well. There are potentially guys in this locker room that realistically think Lamar Jackson could and should be out there this week. Not last week, not next week, this week. Which is interesting to me. It's also worth noting that... Lamar Jackson, you know, it's very apparent 
that so, at least the contract is playing a little bit of a role. If he was guaranteed X hundreds of millions of dollars, you'd sure he'd give it his all. Not that he's not giving it his all now, but his teammates on the offensive side. This isn't a defense-offense divide, right, where we saw in other places, where you see a Denver Bronco D-lineman, or uh, I believe it was a D-lineman or linebacker, yelling at Russell Wilson. It's not that. This isn't Roquan Smith, who just got his money from Baltimore, by the way, six years 100 to play linebacker for them. This isn't Roquan Smith saying, man, you know, I got my money. I'd be out there with a broken leg if I needed to. No, no, no. This is a wide receiver who played for this team last year and saw Lamar's injury kind of derail their season and that has seen this season also get derailed by Lamar's injury suggests that, yeah, we, we kind of need you out there, buddy. And at least in his mind, he might be able to get out there. Now, I'm not saying Lamar Jackson's going to pull a Willis Reed. I'm not trying to color him as selfish. I'm saying his own teammate is doing that. And that's unlike many things I've ever seen in the National Football League. I've seen contract disputes where some guy will take the team side. I've seen contract disputes where this, that, and the third. I haven't seen the leader of a franchise, for all intents and purposes, straight up get called out by a guy who played there for a year and came back for a cup of coffee this season because he thinks, hey man, you can play. And you know what? Somebody should get in your ear and tell you, hey, why don't you give it a go? It's bizarre to me. Uh, is Sammy Watkins isolated in this opinion? It's possible. It's certainly possible, right? I'm not in that room. I'm not a fly on the wall. I'm not Coach Harbaugh. I'm not, you know, anybody to the Baltimore Ravens organization. But it's troubling to hear, especially I imagine as a fan of the Baltimore Ravens and or as somebody working in for the organization that it's possible that this sentiment may be working its way like a little virus through the locker room. It's messy. Um, if we take a look, obviously you heard it out of Lamar Jackson's own tweets. It was a tweet or an Instagram post. Either way, he's not going to be out there against the Cincinnati Bengals in Cincinnati and it's possible Tyler Huntley won't be out there. I tend to think Huntley will go, but he's currently listed as questionable on the injury report per NFL.com as per usual. Um, it's a hard spot to be in for Lamar. It's worth acknowledging. If he is really beat up and he just can't get out there, getting chastised by your team, you know, getting chastised by people on social media is one thing, by fans is one thing. It's supposed to be a family. It's supposed to be a brotherhood. That's what they say, right? Well, you're kind of getting yelled at by your own squad here. And, and the friendly fire has got to be kind of demoralizing, if we're being completely honest. Just wanted to put that out there. We'll talk Bengals-Ravens in more in-depth later, but it needed to be discussed. Number four in the standout seven before we go news and notes and pick them. Let's go week 18 wrap up here. We're doing abbreviated standout seven this week because we've got a heck of a lot of games to get to and I want to go a little bit more in depth if we can. So let's run through some games that stuck out, some games we want to discuss. Obviously, Titans Jaguars was the first one. This was on Saturday evening. Joshua Dobbs played okay. I mean, he goes 20 to 29, a buck 79, a touchdown, and an interception on, you know, 
the biggest play of the year, if memory serves. Or no, I believe, did it end on the interception or did it end on the, the fourth and 13 check down? The interception was bad either way. I think it ended on the check down. Um, another game where Derrick Henry racked, racked up decent stats, you know. I mean, he has 31 touches for a buck 28. It just wasn't enough. It just wasn't enough. The Jaguars' defense did a good job. Tennessee's defense did a decent job. Lawrence only goes 20-32 for 212 and a touch. The rushing game wasn't really there for Jacksonville. I mean, you're talking 19 total yards, including the yards missing from the uh, QB Neals to end it. It was low scoring, but it was kind of impressive that Jacksonville was able to gut this one out against a team in Tennessee, granted being led by a backup, that has players on that team that know how to win, that know how to make it to the postseason. It was interesting to me. It really was. So kudos to the Jacksonville Jaguars. We'll talk about their matchup with the Mike Williams-less Chargers in a bit. Next Sunday afternoon, let's talk Bills Patriots. How crazy was this one? So two kickoff return touchdowns for Naheem Hines, formerly of the Colts, I believe formerly of another squadron earlier this year. Year We take a look at pro football focus, which is our go-to for statistics and such here. Yeah, he was on the Colts earlier this season. Why did I think he was somewhere else? I was thinking of Marlon Mack, actually. Yeah, he was on the Colts earlier this season. Talk about a, a rainbow coming into your lap after a storm, right? Indy wasn't looking great. Meh. He winds up getting let go. He winds up in Buffalo. They lose his first two games there, and they haven't lost since. Spark plug play out of him on the opening kickoff to the point where, you know, when people call the NFL scripted, stuff like that is why they call the NFL scripted, if we're being blatantly honest. Um, Other than that, and this is a weird thing to say, I talked about Miami versus Buffalo earlier in the year and said something similar, I believe. I believe it was that game. If you take out the special teams, I mean, this game was darn close. You take a look at the end of the day, Mac Jones in the biggest game of the year throws three picks in a year where he was hurt and they were cheering for the backup and he was benched in one game. Three picks is massive. I mean, the Patriots defense, the special teams gives up two touchdowns. The defense only gives up 21. It really wasn't a bad performance from them, if we're being completely honest. It wasn't tremendous. Devontae Parker looked great for New England. Two touchdowns in this game, probably his best game of the year. Um, It's just a rough way to end it. They wind up with a losing season. The reports are coming out they're going to make some changes in the offensive coaching staff. That is probably about right. Mac Jones regressed this year, which is never what you want to see with a young QB. They put up a fight, but this game eliminated them from playoff contention, unless everybody lost. I think if everybody lost, they would have got in, but not everybody lost. Because our next game, the backup QB bowl, Joe Fluco led the Jets down to Miami, and they lost 11-6. to a backdoor cover on a safety on the fumble ruski to end the game. Um, Dolphins running game looked pretty good. You know, 27 carries for a buck 40. Skylar Thompson did not look good. Uh, the passing game is completely different. And I wonder if there's enough time to try and throw stuff in there to make them have a chance this weekend. Maybe you got to use Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle in the ways that they used to use Tyreek early in his career in Kansas City, move him around a lot screens, get him in the backfield. I don't know. Um, They're both electric with the ball in their hands. So I don't know if that's realistically going to be something they could do against Buffalo. In Buffalo, kind of 
kind of uh, going uphill there. Uh, I mean, the Jets, it's whatever. The game didn't mean anything to them. Congratulations to Miami. We'll talk Dolphins more later. Seahawks-Rams was a very interesting game that the Rams honestly gave it their all. And then in overtime, Baker Mayfield just throws up an arm punt. And uh, yeah, Seattle brings it home. Seattle needed a little bit of help to get in. And the Detroit Lions did what the Detroit Lions do. Ended the year with a winning season. Keeping Dan Campbell in that conversation for Coach of the Year. He got his team to stand up with their back against the wall. Through the wall, honestly. They're eliminated. And they say, no, 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 no. We're not in. You're not in. Green Bay going home. The rumor's already swirling that Aaron Rodgers might retire. We'll save that for off-season content. We don't got to talk about that now. Uh, He didn't look great out there. The Packers' offense didn't look great out there, if we're being frank. Jamal Williams with two touchdowns. I believe he broke Barry Sanders' individual individual, excuse me, record for touchdowns in a season, obviously with an extra game. But good for Detroit, man. Good for Detroit. News and notes before we wrap up the standout seven. We discussed Arizona considering trading DeAndre Hopkins reportedly. Kansas City and Buffalo, it's been announced, if they were to face off, would face off in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I believe that's what it's called, down in Atlanta. Looks like a beautiful building. Um, The Derek Carr trade talks are underway. We'll talk Derek Carr possible landing spots. I think we did it a couple weeks ago, but we'll go back to it, uh, as I'm sure, maybe in the Pro Bowl week or in the offseason. The Jets have parted ways with Green Bay Packers coach LaFleur's little brother, who was the OC for the Jets. It just didn't work out. Um, Zach Wilson has not developed. And we saw Mike White put up some numbers in that offense, but you tend to think they're going to try and get somebody a little bit more high-powered, move a little bit more cachet, see if they can develop Wilson. I don't know. Maybe they'll move on from him, try to move up in the first round. There were rumors getting floated around on New York Talk Radio that they would try to trade for Justin Fields if the Bears are somehow interested in a QB. I don't know if Fields is available, but if he is... Give it a go, Jets. Go for it. Um, We talked about Mike Kafka. We talked about Roquan Smith. Just another thing I wanted to float out here. As we are in the... Excuse me. We are, you know, past the World Cup and into the Australian Open in tennis. These other sports, other being tennis and soccer, have technology. We've talked about this before, but I keep bringing it up because I want to see it. We have pylon cam, which is cool. You could literally see in soccer if somebody's offside by a pinky toe, right? They have the little, you know, imaginary line and everybody's placed on the field and whatever. Why don't we have that in football? I mean, I get it. The players are all bunched together, but mm, I don't think that's it. I don't know what it is. It's super expensive to implement. I mean, we saw also baseball this week announcing that robot umps are going to be implemented in the AAA minor league system this year, minor league level uh, class, however you'd call it, but which is a huge move for baseball, and they're going to see how that affects a whole bunch of things, whether it be pace of play, whether it be if the calls are accurate, whether it be how it works with the human umpires, obviously. But, I mean, like when you're challenging a call in tennis, they're challenging it via the replay and the digital system. The referee's there for show and to communicate I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. Could we get something like that in football? Could we get it, even if it's just along the sideline? Could we get it along the sideline in the end zone, even? 
to where we don't have to have question, to where I don't have to chide the league for the catch which was called a touchdown by Las Vegas, I believe it was Mac Hollins of the Las Vegas Raiders against the Patriots when I said it looked like he was pretty explicitly out of bounds and the broadcast crew said he looked out of bounds and they call it a touchdown. Well, how about you shoot a laser down the line and say, oh, well, he didn't touch the laser. And I go, oh, well, if he didn't touch the laser, it is what it is. Um, I don't know. Will we ever see that? Let me know what you guys think. Will we ever see that in the league? Is that something we'd want in the league? Would it get too crazy? People didn't like challenging pass interference calls because it didn't really work. Well, would that kind of devolve into something similar? I'm not sure. Would you be challenging something that the referee explicitly saw one way and then you have to tell him, no, you are blatantly wrong? I don't know. Let me know what you guys think. What I do know is that we are at the end of the final, well, not the final Standout 7, this week's Standout 7. We got a couple to go. Um, and that'll bring us to the pick'em portion of this week's episode. A little prequel here, a little prologue to the pick'em portion of this week's episode. Let's talk season-wide. We went 167-102-2, and two, two ties. I'm not counting it as a win or a loss. Counts half a win, half a loss. And one cancellation. That leaves us with just a hair under a 62% win percentage. Is that great? Is that bad? I don't know. Uh, I can tell you that it's a step down. From the past few seasons. And I know explicitly that it has to do with my picking of the Carolina Panthers, the L.A. Rams, some Atlanta Falcons. And uh, realistically, that's the difference. I mean, we picked 10 games better last year. Last year, we were at a 65.5, if you're doing rounding. Uh, The year before, 63.9. I mean, we're still up. 2020 was our worst year. We were below 60% for the only time. We've been 64-ish and above three of our five seasons this year. We're going to be below, so it is what it is. I thought we had a decent year. We ended strong. Let's be honest here. I mean, we had some shaky years here, some shaky weeks, excuse me. But if you started week nine, I mean, you take a look. We're 9-4, 10-4, 10-4, 10-4, 10-6, 11-3-1, 6-7. Week 14 was weird. Uh, and then we end the year 10-6, 10-6, 12-3, 12-4. 4 And we had some not go our way because of some weird stuff during the year because of injuries. Um, Yeah, but either way, that was our yearly total. I remind you, last year in the offs, excuse me, in the playoffs, we went ten and three. We went three and one in the divisional, five and one wild card weekend. We split the championship games, and then we got the Super Bowl right, which is good because the year before we got the Super Bowl wrong which is bad. So, we're going to get started. Super Wild Card Weekend. Our first matchup, NFC West, a grudge match. The Seattle Seahawks, led by Geno Smith, head to Santa Clara, California. Levi's Stadium. Likely listening to this on Saturday. If you are, it's later today. If it's Sunday, you already know how this went. You can laugh at me down in the comments or on social media. Seahawks. Questionable for this game. Running back DJ Dallas with an ankle slash quad injury. Offensive lineman Phil Haynes with an ankle injury. Defensive lineman Shelby Harris with a knee. And corner Xavier Crawford with a hammy. Niners listing two players both as out. Corner Ambry Thomas with an ankle. And of course, quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo with a foot. I've floated earlier in the year. We wonder, we being me, 
If Jimmy Garoppolo is healthy enough to return, would he be on the sideline? Would this put something in the head of Brock Purdy? Would they not even activate Garoppolo so as to try and not mess with the psyche of Purdy? If Purdy were to play poorly and Garoppolo's not active, you look kind of foolish. I don't know. Food for thought. I'm taking San Francisco in this game. Um, Realistically, we take a look back through the Seahawks' schedule here. In their two matchups against San Francisco. So, we've got September the 18th. They go down to Santa Clara. They lose 27-7. Gino goes 24-30, a buck 97. They run for under 50 yards. Jimmy Garoppolo throws for a buck 54. Trey Lance throws for 30. And what it really came down to is 84 on the ground from Jeff Wilson. Debo Samuel, 50 on the ground. 30 on the ground from Davis Price. It was everywhere. Seattle couldn't get their offense going. Remember. Remember how long ago that is, by the way. We're talking the 18th of September. We're talking week two for the Seahawks. Their other matchup. December the 15th, just a handful of weeks ago. A little under a month ago. In Seattle. San Francisco goes in there, Brock Purdy at the helm. He throws two touchdowns, 217 yards. McCaffrey runs for a buck 08 and a touchdown. Geno Smith throws the ball 44 times for 238 yards and a touch. They were just not good enough, just barely. This game was 21-6 coming into the fourth and ends at 21-13. Do I think Seattle is better than they were a month ago? I don't. Do I think San Francisco is better than they were a month ago? I kind of think they do. They are, excuse me. Uh, I do think they have improved, I should say. And the reason being, I think Brock Purdy is more confident even than he was then. Brock Purdy seems to be kind of growing in in a lot of these people's, a lot of, you know, former players that are analysts on TV They don't see this guy as the Mr. Irrelevant anymore. That's kind of left. They're now discussing whether he's the future of this team at quarterback. What are they going to do with Trey Lance? Is Trey Lance going to be on the market? Would the Jets be interested? Would the Texans be interested? Or are they going to try and use him as a slash or a wildcat or whatever? Brock Purdy has this job by the reins. And I think he's going to keep hold of that, at the least, by winning this week at home and taking down and eliminating the division rival Seattle Seahawks. Next, 8.15 p.m. And By the way, first game is on Fox. Second game on NBC. The L.A. Chargers head to Jacksonville to take on the division champion Jaguars. It's been a few years since I've gotten to say that. Chargers going to be without Mike Williams with a back injury, as we've discussed. Jaguars listing quarterback Trevor Lawrence as questionable with a toe. I tend to imagine he will be out there. Wide receivers Jamal Agnew with a shoulder and Kendrick Pryor also questionable with a shoulder. Offensive lineman Brandon Scherf with an abdomen and long snapper Ross Matisic with a back injury. This one is intriguing to me because realistically, you know, gun to my head, beginning of the year, who do you think is going to win a playoff game? The Jacksonville Jaguars... Or the L.A. Chargers. And, I mean, come on. If you would have picked the Chargers, you're probably Marty McFly. These teams did face off this year. And, 
in that game, the Jacksonville Jaguars won 38-10. to Yes, 38. I feel that this maybe isn't being discussed enough. Trevor Lawrence in this game, 25 of 45, 297, a touch and a pick. The running game under 40 yards for the L.A. Superchargers. Receiving court was beat up in this game. Mike Williams, just one catch, none for Keenan Allen. Trevor Lawrence on the other side, 28 of 39, 262. James Robinson, who's since been traded and then was practically exiled to the bench by the Jets, 100 yards on the ground. Travis Etienne, 45, and a touchdown for Zay Jones, a touchdown for Christian Kirk, and a touchdown for Marvin Jones. Additionally, additionally, it's, I don't want to say it's hard to upset a team twice, because Jacksonville is playing host in this game. But, considering what we saw, and considering this is the team that just gritted it out against the Tennessee Titans, I'm honestly going to flip my pick. I was going to go Chargers in this game. But I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to go Jaguars. I am going to go Jacksonville Jaguars to win this game and potentially, spoiling my future picks, of course, link up a date between Trevor Lawrence and Patty Mahomes. Spicy Final Four possible in the American Football Conference. Even with Justin Herbert, it's still super spicy. All the QBs starting in the American Football Conference, the AFC that is, under 27 years of age. Now, granted, Tua Tungavailoa not playing, which is a big, big uh, asterisk on some of these conversations. But it is what it is. Also, Lamar Jackson not playing, obviously, as we said. That takes us through the Saturday games. Sunday... 1 p.m. from Buffalo, New York, Orchard Park to be exact. The Miami Dolphins, led by, likely, and guaranteed as of now, Skylar Thompson, head to Buffalo to take on the Bills for their third matchup of the season. Dolphins going to be without quarterback Tua Tagovailoa, as we said, still in the concussion protocol. Also going to be without running back Raheem Mostert, which is big, with a thumb injury. Doubtful. Offensive lineman Liam Eichenberg with a hand. Questionable. Teddy Bridgewater still fighting his way back. He's got a knee injury and he dislocated his pinky. Um, Also questionable. Fullback Alec Ingold with a thumb injury. Wide receiver Cedric Wilson Jr. with a hip and a groin. Three offensive linemen. Kendall Lamb with an ankle. Brandon Shell with a knee and an ankle. And Teron Armstead with a toe, pectoral, knee, and hip. As well as... In-season acquisition, linebacker Bradley Chubb with an ankle and a hand injury. The Bills on the other side listing just two as questionable wide receiver Isaiah McKenzie with a hammy and D-lineman Jordan Phillips with a shoulder injury. I'm taking Buffalo. I mean, we could draw this out if you want, but it's really hard for me to see this team that just put up nine points prior to an endgame safety. Nine points against the New York Jets, who had damn near nothing to play for, and they were at home, to go on the road and put up, what? What what is it going to take to win this game? Let's say Josh Allen turns the ball over twice, which he's completely capable of, whether it be via fumble, whether it be via interception times two, 
Whatever it is. He tries to hurdle somebody. He fumbles one. Throws one. Gets deflected. It's an interception. Okay. Miami's got two extra possessions. How many games are they going to... Excuse me. How many times are they going to have to score? Because the spread's got them as 10-plus point underdogs. 10-plus. They're going to need to put up, in my opinion, to win this game over 30. In all likelihood. Maybe high 20s if they get lucky. Who knows what happens. Maybe, maybe there's an injury. I don't know. It, it just can't see it happening. Like I said, Mike McDaniel, I think he's a pretty good coach. I think working Tyreek Hill into a similar role, like, you know, maybe in the backfield, move him around like to do Debo Samuel in San Francisco. Sure. Um, is it going to be enough? It's going to have to be a drastic change in a week. It's possible. But I wouldn't put it anywhere near likely. Give me Buffalo to win this one and advance to Divisional Weekend. That game on CBS, by the way. In case I missed it at the beginning. 4.30 p.m. on Sunday on Fox. The New York Football Giants head to Minnesota for a rematch with the Minnesota Vikings. The Giants listing no one. Non-applicable as their injury report per NFL.com for their Super Wild Card Weekend matchup. The Vikings, listing running back Kenny Wongwu with an illness. Safety Harrison Smith, one of the captains of this team, with a knee injury. And corner Cam Dantzler with an ankle injury as well as a personal matter. Now we take a look back. Daniel Jones threw for 330 in this game against Minnesota. And you might say, uh, yeah, uh, but scoreboard, L, plus ratio, plus, you know, you know the shenanigans. I would say this. This Giants offense is not tremendous, right? This is the second most he threw for in a game, and both games were losses. The bulk of Daniel Jones's victories this year, you take a look through, 188 yards, 176 yards, 71 yards, 217, 173, 202, 197. What's the point? Well, my point is when this team is forced into throwing the football, at least against Minnesota, they were able to, but that's not their strength. Richie James had a good game. He's been good for them. Darius Slayton was all right. He's been good for them. Isaiah Hodgins has kind of burst on the scene. Can this Giants team go to Minnesota and do what they couldn't do before? Remember, this game was won as time expired as happens to the Giants pretty much once a year, if not every other year, with a 60-yard field goal. In this game, Kirk Cousins, a hair under 300, three touchdowns. Four-plus yards per carry on the ground for Dalvin Cook on 14 carries. Justin Jefferson sliced the Giants up. 12, catch, excuse me, 12 catches for a buck 30. TJ Hawkinson had 13 catches in this game and two touchdowns. Now, if you want to play the man's game, the smart money would be on Minnesota. However, and I've been wrong many times via logic similar to this, and I probably will be again. What I'm going to say is, I've seen this movie before, and I think it's going to play out the same way. I've seen the New York Giants play teams they've played before in the postseason, and I've seen them go in there and punch them in the mouth. And for what it's worth, I think they're going to do the same thing. 
Because not only did Daniel Jones have a good game, Saquon Barkley had a good game. 14 carries for 84 yards. I think the New York Giants are going to find a way, because they were beat up in the secondary, right? I think somehow they're going to find a way with nuts and bolts and duct tape and rope to scratch and claw this thing together and find their way into the divisional weekend. I think they have the highest odds of an upset of any of these teams, perhaps not including the Chargers. Chargers probably have the highest, right? Wouldn't shock me if the Chargers were favorites. But, as a team that scratched their way in, as a team like the Seattle Seahawks, right? As a team like the Dolphins, I've got the Giants as my upset pick. You know what? I wasn't gonna. I was thinking, eh, you know, I don't see this team having a run. It's, it doesn't have that same magic. It's Kirk Cousins. And sometimes, all the time, realistically... <laughs> You can't trust Kirk Cousins. I know this game isn't played at night, so it's not a primetime game. You know, you, maybe that's your argument. You say, Nick, it's not a night game. The Giants won't. The Giants won't win this one. Kirk will go out and lose the next week. You might be right, but you know what? For Kirk Cousins, primetime is primetime. Give me the Giants to pull off an upset and move on to the next round. Is this wishful thinking? Is this the New Yorker in me? Perhaps. Does that matter to me? No, not in the slightest. Four thirty. On Fox, the Giants are going to find a way. Our final game... Oh, no, excuse me. There's a Monday night game. That's right. So not used to the super wild card format yet. Uh, final game on Sunday, I should say. 8.15 p.m. Eastern, NBC. The Baltimore Ravens head to Cincinnati, Paul Brown Stadium. Formerly, that's right. Now it is Paycor Stadium. My mistake. To take on the Cincinnati Bengals, the reigning, defending... AFC champs. And to be the champ, you got to beat the champ, and let's see what they can pull together in this one, potentially with their third-string QB. Baltimore going to be without Lamar Jackson, as we said, with a knee injury. Also going to be without wide receiver Tylen Wallace with a hammy and corner Brandon Stevens with an illness. Questionable, their backup QB, who would be their lead, Tyler Snoop Huntley with a shoulder-slash-wrist injury. Both things you need to throw the football, in case you're wondering. Bengals is going to be without offensive lineman Alex Kappa with an ankle. I'm not taking Baltimore in this game. Unless the news flips in the next 24 to 48 hours, depending on when you're listening to this, and Lamar Jackson is going to find his way out onto that field, I can't do it. I cannot take the Baltimore Ravens with a backup or third-string quarterback potentially to upset the reigning AFC champs on their home turf. Can't do it. And it's disappointing for Raven fan. I know that Lamar's not going to be out there. It's disappointing. This is the second year in a row that it's played out this way where he's not there for the entirety of the season. Um, I'll say this. You know, for all these years, we've discussed the pros and cons and all of those things of having a mobile quarterback. And consistently... It comes back to, guys, when you're a mobile quarterback, you're probably going to get hurt at a higher clip than a non-mobile quarterback. That's really it. And the fact of the matter is, two years in a row, unfortunately for Raven fan, that has been the case for Lamar Jackson and for the Baltimore Ravens. Give me Cincinnati to win this one at home. And advance to whatever 
weird neutral site game they encounter. Monday night playoff football. Monday night, 8.15 p.m. Eastern. We have Monday night action between the traveling Dallas Cowboys at 12-5 and and the hosting Tampa Bay Buccaneers division champs at 8-9. Injury report not listed currently on the NFL.com injury report. Um, This one's on ESPN if I didn't say that already. This one's an interesting one because the Buccaneers have underachieved fairly consistently this year. Tom Brady has been in a lot of headlines, and they have not all really related to his play on the field. Fact of the matter is, Tom Brady didn't look great this year, but he still kind of looked like Tom Brady. 4,694 yards, 25 touchdowns, and 9 interceptions. I mean, 66.8% completion percentage. He wasn't bad. You look back at their game week one, he, from the start, did not look tremendous. He threw for 212 yards, a touchdown and a pick. He sacked once in this game. Um, Not the best game of the GOAT's career, but he was able to pull out a victory. The thing about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is, you take a look at that number I just mentioned, nine interceptions, right? So in Brady's last six games, he's thrown seven of those picks. I'm not saying Brady's going to go out there and throw three interceptions, but with Trayvon Diggs out at corner, who is notoriously a ball hawk and will jump every and any route, it wouldn't shock me if he wound up with one going the other way. It also wouldn't shock me if Dak Prescott, who was the league leader in interceptions, thanks to Derek Carr's benching, um, threw one that went the other way. Either the reason that I'm going to give for my pick in this game is I think Dallas is going to run the ball better than Tampa Bay. I know Tampa Bay has that front seven. I know they can stop the run, but I, it's not Zeke. It's Tony Pollard. I think Tony Pollard is a tremendous X factor for the Dallas Cowboys, if I'm being honest. And if they let him go out there and do his thing, I think they can sprinkle him in, have some two-back sets. I think he can get on the outside and do just enough that they can bring home a win in this game. I really do. Give me the Dallas Cowboys to advance. I mean, look, I'm the first one to say the classic narrative of you can't write off the GOAT, I'll take Brady in the playoffs until someone beats him, and most of the time you're right. You really are. But I remember when they played Tennessee, tail end of the New England years for Tommy, and I said, this doesn't look like a Tom Brady playoff team, Tom Brady Super Bowl team, and I was right then. And I'm getting a similar sort of vibe watching this Tampa Bay team. Is it possible they pull this one out? It's the Dallas Cowboys. Do not underestimate the Cowboys' ability to lose playoff games. But if I'm playing the game, I'm taking the Cowboys to advance to Divisional Weekend. Alrighty. And I guarantee you we do this at the beginning of the episode, and here we are. So let's move into my full playoff bracket. And obviously this will be drastically incorrect. We take a look at last year's full playoff bracket in advance. We had championship games of the Rams and the Bucks and the Packers. No, excuse me. Yeah, we had the Rams and the Packers and we had the Chiefs and the Bills. Obviously, we wound up with the Chiefs uh, and the Bengals 
and we wound up with the Rams and was it San Francisco? I don't even remember. Um, it doesn't matter. I wound up picking Chiefs Packers last year. That was completely wrong. We take a look back at the year previous. We had the Chiefs winning that one. And I believe we got that one right. I think I'm picking the Chiefs damn near every year. And it's funny because coming into this season, I was fighting the urge to have them missing the playoffs. And I fought that urge correctly, thankfully. So, in our divisional matchups, we'll go NFC then AFC. I've got the Eagles hosting the Giants. I've got Philly moving on. Um, Quite honestly, it would not shock me if that matchup were to happen. And this is going to sound kind of stupid. You can make fun of me if you want. It would not shock me if the Giants found a way to win that matchup. And the reason I say that is, Philly didn't look great in Week 18 against the Giants, and Philly had to win. Giants didn't have to win. Giants had nothing to play for. Giants were playing their bench. Didn't matter. Didn't matter one bit. I don't know. I can see the Giants finding a way, and then things might get weird if they do win, because my other matchup, I've got the Niners and the Cowboys from Santa Clara, and I've got the Niners winning that one. So you're running into a situation where, potentially, the New York Giants are facing Minnesota, who they faced, facing the Eagles, who they faced, and they're facing the Niners, who they faced on the road to the Super Bowl a decade plus ago. Just put it out there. However, I'll stay chalk. I'll be boring. I'll take Philly to beat the Giants and the Niners to beat the Cowboys. AFC side of the bracket. We went chalk, so we've got the Chiefs the Jag playing the Jaguars, excuse me, hosting. Um, I've got Kansas City winning this one at Arrowhead. I think it would be fun. I think it's a little bit of an announce-yourself game for Trevor Lawrence, and they make this one closer than it should be, but Kansas City winds up on top. Then, we've got the drama. Do we wind up down in Atlanta for Chiefs-Bills? Where is Bills-Bengals going to be? I thought that would be neutral site, too. I don't even know. Will Chiefs-Bengals also be in Atlanta? I also don't know. Uh, We'll find out in coming weeks. Bills-Bengals, huge game. The Bills, the number one bet on team to win the Super Bowl at the beginning of the year. The the famous pick, the fan pick to run the table. I've got Cincinnati taking them now. Wherever they play this game. My understanding is it'll be neutral. If it's neutral, that helps Cincinnati. If it's not neutral, we can revisit this. I guess it won't matter because obviously we'll be talking about it next week. But I've got Cincinnati because I think for some reason, throughout the years. I've seen Buffalo abandon their run game, and I think Cincinnati will hand the ball to Joe Mixon and get the job done when they need to, when they need to grind out drives. I think Cincinnati obviously has done it. They were, you know, a lot of people say if they block Aaron Donald in the Super Bowl, they win that Super Bowl on that final fourth down, potentially. Play away. Couple plays away from being Super Bowl champions. Where, where's where's the argument for, you know, you take the baby steps to get there. I know Buffalo's been taking the baby steps, but Cincinnati's further on the food chain right now, for being honest. Is Josh Allen better than Joe Burrow? In terms of raw talent, I think so, because of the athleticism. But he's, he's the new age Joe Cool. If he's going to be the Tom Brady comparison that people compare him to, he'll take down the Bills, and he will meet Andy Reid and the Chiefs and wherever they put this game in the championship game. Now, let's jump back to the NFC side of the bracket as I fight the urge to flip my pick to the New York Giants. We've got the Eagles and the 49ers. We've got the mobility of Jalen Hurts 
coupled with the big play threat of A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith and Quez Watkins, if you want to mix them in there, against the 49ers, who, let's be fair, have been to a Super Bowl and lost recently as well. They have. And now they have Christian McCaffrey, the do-it-all. And they have Debo Samuel. And they have George Kittle kind of rediscovering his role in the offense. And for that reason, I'm taking San Fran to take down the Philadelphia Eagles. Next, neutral site or not, I'm not really sure. I believe it is. Kansas City Chiefs, technically home, away, both. Kansas City Chiefs against the Cincinnati Bengals, and this is hard for me because I've gotten Chiefs-Bengals wrong damn near every time. I got it wrong in the regular season last year. I got it wrong in the playoffs last year. I got it wrong in the regular season this year. And the last one, I had this rationale, and I might have to use it again. But you know what? I don't think I can. My rationale was, well, you know, hmm, is Cincinnati good enough to punk the Kansas City Chiefs again? They beat them late in the game last year in the regular season. Then they beat them with a comeback where Kansas City fell apart, if we're being honest, in the playoffs. They beat them again during the regular season. Am I going to take Cincinnati? Do I think they're just their big brother? I don't. And I'm kind of befuddled that they keep finding themselves, they being Cincinnati, excuse me, Kansas City, keeps finding themselves in this situation where they can't get over on a team that, quite honestly, I think they're better than. I think they should be able to beat the Cincinnati Bengals. Not that the Bengals are a bad team, but they should be able to beat this team. And I think in the AFC Championship game this year, they do. And that sets up a Super Bowl rematch between the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. And if we look back at this matchup a few years ago, what sticks out? Well, it sticks out that San Francisco was winning this game. It sticks out that Jimmy Garoppolo overthrew either a deep bomb or a touchdown late in this game. It sticks out that Patrick Mahomes hit those, kind of throw it up and whatever happens, and he had Tyreek Hill on the other end of it. And as much as it's been, honestly, kind of a tour de force sort of season in terms of impressing without your lead wideout, for Patrick Mahomes, you take a look, he throws for 52 41 touchdowns and 12 interceptions. I think it will inevitably come back to eventually bite them that Tyreek Hill's not out there. Now, I will say this. I do like Juju Smith-Schuster. I do like Isaiah Pacheco. I do like Jarek McKinnon, who was an addition, who I believe was formerly of San Francisco. Maybe he can be the X-Factor. Maybe it's one of the guys we don't even think of, right? I believe Valdez Scantling is on Kansas City, correct? Maybe it's Valdez Scantling. Yeah, 42 catches this year, two touchdowns. Maybe he's the guy that makes a big play. Maybe the Cinderella story runs out on Brock Purdy in the Super Bowl. But as much as all of that is leaning towards, hey, hey, maybe, oh, though, I think not having Tyreek Hill, and Kyle Shanahan kind of have thinking, you know what? They gave me this sort of name or narrative as, hey, I can't finish. We couldn't finish in the big game. 
We were up. We were up. We were up. We lost the game. I think with the addition of McCaffrey and Debo Samuel and keeping the foot on the gas and George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk, that they'll be able to do more on the offensive side of the ball. Kansas City still got a great offense. Their defense is missing some guys from that team back then. But I think San Francisco finds a way to pull it off. And like I said at the beginning, it was just my bracket. It's usually wrong. We'll pick them week by week. Those are usually way more accurate for me. But that's where I sit right now. Games that I that I debated, right? Just to recap. After this, obviously Giants won. I kicked it around. Chargers-Jags was hard. Um, Eagles-Giants, I truly do think the Giants could win that game. They played them close-ish the first matchup and then blew it. The second one, they played them close-ish with the backups. I think it was kind of a scrimmage coaching-wise. Obviously, they didn't send a lot of the starters out there, but coaching-wise, it was another situation for Dayball, Kafka, and the coaching crew of the New York Giants to kind of evaluate how Philly approaches certain concepts. I think the Giants can win that game. Niners-Cowboys is a spicy one. Does the Cinderella story end for Brock Purdy? Does he start turning the ball over? Does Micah Parsons wreck the game? Do the Cowboys finally get over the hill? Do they give it to Zeke? And Tony Pollard 30 times in a playoff game, 35 times, and just kind of grind it out to 17 to 13. It's possible. Chiefs-Jaguars, I, if that's the matchup, I've got it going to the Chiefs. If it's Chiefs-Chargers, it's a little bit more interesting, but Chiefs-Jags, I've got it as Chiefs. Bills-Bengals is very spicy. It would probably be the spicy matchup of the postseason. The only one that would possibly trump that is the winner of that game facing Kansas City. Those are the two spiciest games we might be able to get. Um, I guess if you got Eagles-Cowboys in the championship game, that could be fun too. I don't see that as tremendously likely, but, you know, it's a possibility. Eagles-Niners should be fun. I've got Brock Purdy as my takeaway big story, and that's the thing, right? Like, as a, uh, I guess a journalist is the word I would use. Um, whatever word you guys want to use doesn't make a difference to me. You look for the story. Every year has that, right? And it's a matter of, as a fan, you think, this is our route, right? It's the perfect thing, and this happens. Oh, but it's just a minor setback for a major comeback. But realistically, these narratives do play true because it builds into the confidence of the team, and it moves on and moves on and moves on. It's like, oh, yeah. So I've got Brock Purdy, the Cinderella story. Then Jimmy Garoppolo can go do whatever he wants if he wants to go get paid a bunch of money to play for insert name here and manage the game and do his thing and play in 12 games a season. What happens to Trey Lance? I don't know. Trade block, maybe. Maybe they see his versatility and try and work him in and then trade him later. Uh, could he be a Taysom Hill type? I don't know if he could do that. He's got the athleticism, but would he want to? I don't know. Um, either way, I've got San Francisco walking away as my Super Bowl champion. That'll bring us to the end of this week's episode of the Necessary Roughness Podcast, episode number 158, Super Wild Card Weekend Preview, presented by Last Word on Sports. Join us again next weekend, folks. I hope there's a tremendous week of games here. Usually Wild Card Weekend's got some crazy ones. I hope it is. Hope everything's close. And hey, if you're rooting out there, I'm rooting for your team, and then I'm rooting for you to tune in next week for our next episode, likely again, late Friday night. I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic, signing off. <laughs>